On episode 16 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Mike Goosen. And I also don't think you're going to take someone who's pretty entrenched in their mode and change them from a 2 to a 10, let's say. Mm -hmm. They might move to a 5, but that difference... That little bit of a mood makes such a huge impact on the relationships they have with the others is it feels like they made a 10. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Lane. Today, we're talking with Mike Goosen, CEO and founder of Columns for Success, a business consulting firm based in Fresno, California. Mike started his career as a CPA. He's also been comptroller and eventually CEO of a large nonprofit. Now he's using his 30 years of experience to help develop organizations in the Fresno area. And now our talk with Mike Goosen. Mike, thank you so much for coming into the studio today and agreeing to speak with us. And and uh, I know you got a lot of exciting things going on out there in California, which is great. But before we jump in and talk a little bit about your business, why don't you tell us about your background? How long have you been in this industry? Kind of what brought you into it and why did you decide to, to get into consulting? Well, my background is uh, I'm a CPA from my education and degree, and I spent uh, several years doing that. And uh, my real love and passion, though, however, was getting involved in business. I wanted to be operationally involved so where I could be sure I could make a difference in the business that I was at, as opposed to, as a CPA, you're just giving annual meetings with them and you're giving ideas, but they never seem to implement them. And mm -hmm. so even though they were excited about our advice as a, as a CPA firm and, and how to make their business run better, every year I'd come back and they're still doing the same thing. And it occurred to me that if I really wanted to make an impact on business, I had to get intimately involved with it. So as soon as I had an opportunity to become a, a controller for a corporation in, in uh, Fresno, California, I decided to jump at the chance. It happened to be a nonprofit uh, blood center, which was in the uh, mid-80s, and it was growing fast. And I got involved with that and found that to be a very fascinating industry. Um, and so I got involved with it and spent 12 years or so. And through that 12 years, I did everything from starting as a controller and I ended up as a CEO hmm. and for a few years. And that was a big challenge, CEO of a, <laughs> a nonprofit because of the board relationships and all that sort of thing. And um, after that was over with, I uh, decided to get involved with some executive sales and and worked for a large corporation, a small one, you know, Johnson & Johnson. No one, oh, nothing, yeah, a little. Nothing, I, yeah. I think I've heard of them. Tiny. Nothing really big. They, they, they are big in the blood uh, business, blood banking industry. And so spent a, lot, a couple of years there traveling around and, and staying with the same industry, talking to people I already knew, which is probably why they hired me because I was connected and uh, didn't really like it that much. Two years of, two and a half years of travel every day, it was just really hard. And so... When that also ended because of corporate change. So two years in a row, two times in a row, my life changed because of corporate decision that I had nothing to do with. So mm -hmm. I thought, wait a second, I need to do this on my own. I'm tired of being pushed around by people who don't really know, uh, you know, uh, have my best interest in heart, right? They're just. Mm -hmm. So I started doing financial management consulting, which made sense. I'm a CPA and, and spent a lot of time in the small business from startups all the way to, uh, again, more nonprofits because I had that background and. And I did that for like 10 years. And as I was going through that process, it was clear that the small businesses struggled not only with their finances, they also struggled with strategic planning or even a simple 
uh, budget and setting goals for the corporations. And they were asking me questions about that. And I started thinking, man, you know, I need to get more information so I could help them improve and, and establish good processes. So I started to look for things and look for ways of doing that. Uh, I came across 360 a couple years ago in my search. And it was a perfect match because of the the materials, the, the concepts, the things that we want that you guys had already in place made lined up exactly what people I knew needed. And one company in particular I was working with was really in transition. And so I, I latched on it right away and was able to uh, begin using it. And then since then, it's been going through and, and uh, getting that up available for more and more companies. Mm-hmm. And there's a great, uh, really good connection between what we have to offer now, what I have to offer now for my clients and what they need, and that's kind of where we got to this point. And sure. so, now you have four major categories that you work in, correct? Correct. Yeah, I looked at business also over the years. I, I discovered that um, every company, every corporation, no matter what the size is, it really needs to have four components in place or in balance, and um, at least in play. I would say one is my natural go-to, which is finance. I mean, the financial management, how you. Uh, utilize your financials, um, how you uh, um, operate and plan your finances is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that was apparent and is necessary is leadership in that. Um, are you leading as the owner or the executive director? Are you leading with vision or passion or is there some excitement about what you're doing? Do people know where you're headed as a company? And that's um, the big leadership visionary piece, which is extremely important. The other part is with that leadership and the finances, are you strategically planning your future or is it just happening to you? And if you're not strategically planning, you know, if you don't have a plan to where you're going, you'll always get there, right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> so people will operate based on their you know, gut feeling and, and how the market would shift or, or they would plan and they wouldn't, they wouldn't really look at it strategically and, and establish a road path to their success. They just let it happen. And then the fourth piece is people. How do you manage people? Well, that's one part of it, but the more important part is how do you hire people? And if you don't hire them correctly, and then you don't onboard them correctly and, and, and move them forward down a path of development, they are not likely to stay with you. Yeah. Or they will not perform well for you. They'll be disengaged because they're disenchanted and they don't know. So those four things, leadership, finances, um, strategic planning, and uh, employee development are the four columns, which I just came up with my columns for success, business plan, and model. So that's where that came from. So Wonderful. it's all based on 25, 30 years of watching it all go good and watching it all go bad. Yeah, absolutely. So the so the organizations you work with, are they small, they large, everything <clears throat> in between? Do you have kind of a focus that you go after? Well, I've kind of, uh, over the last couple of years, there's uh, I get called upon a lot by nonprofits. That just seems to be because I've had so much history there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been involved with, like blood, like I said earlier, the Blood Center. There's a, a neat rescue mission in Fresno that I spent for five years with. Um, United Way has called on me. And there's a lot. So I've kind of been drawn into that. And I can speak their language because I have that experience. So nonprofit market is one of my main uh, go-tos right now. The other I like is the 25 to 50 employees small business guy who is really uh, struggling or doing well and wants to find his way out. You know, a lot of guys, they, they're doing well and they think, oh man, I can sell this company and they ask me what it's worth. And I said, well, how often do you go on vacation? And they say, oh, I never can go on vacation. Well, why not? Well, because my business would die if I weren't here. <laughs> yep. 
So I said, well, the problem is your company isn't worth anything <laughs> because it's worth you. <laughs> so if I'm a buyer, I'm not going to buy your company if it only works when you're there. So I said, right. we need to figure out a way to get you out of the business and have it still be successful. And those uh, individuals are the ones that I find uh, are most intriguing and interesting because get together a two-year plan and all of a sudden their business is going from zero to you know $5 million. And they're like, great. And so they want to sell it then. So that kind of excitement is fun. And the third market I really like, but is not maybe as uh, uh, valuable to me as much as the, the startup guy, you know, the gal, you know, the person who wants to start a business and they have no clue where they're heading. The only problem with this group is they don't have any money either, really. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little bit of a challenge to, to get them to, to hire people like us to, to help them. But if I can get them to uh, join a mastermind group or something that on an inexpensive, a small way approach, then get some exposure to the concepts or maybe come to a conference or an event or something that we do that just to kind of uh, get them uh, aware of all the things that they're getting themselves into, then they start seeing some um, value of talking with people like us to get, oh, yeah, I could, if I start right. Because if they start right, they're going to save money down the line for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of a conference or mm-hmm. an event, we, you know, we held an event in Dallas handful of months ago you yeah. came to it. a couple mm-hmm. of your clients came to it yeah they did and it went over so well that now we're going to host one in the fresno area right and that's coming up not in the too distant future <laughs> uh you want to tell me you know tell us why you decided to bring an event to fresno mm-hmm. and and kind of what the event's about what what the intent right. is well i wanted to bring it to fresno first and foremost because i see it as a way for Many of the businesses in town that I personally know or a lot of my contacts know, a lot of CPA friends and business owners and, and lawyers I'm talking to, is an opportunity for them to get a great overview of what is available to them to assist their business. Now, obviously, we're going to cover a tremendous amount of information in two days, all about organizational development and leadership and all those, all those facets that we have to offer. But not everyone needs all of it. And some of them need parts of it, and they don't, some of them don't even know what they need. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, bring it to Fresno. We're going to hold it up at a very beautiful hotel called Tanaya Lodge, up just at the gateway of, of, of Yosemite. And it's a short 45-minute to an hour drive from most of the locations in the valley. And it's able to, so they'll get away, they'll see some, they'll hear some concepts they've never heard before. They'll get reinforced on some they maybe have heard before. And um, then they'll be able to uh, walk away with something that in a workbook that will give them an opportunity to take and apply some of those things at the office. And, and if uh, they might need some help, that'd be good, too. I'd be happy to help them with that. So I just want to op- open up their eyes a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, you invited me to be a part of that event, and I'm excited yeah. about it as well. I know that, you know, with working with small businesses and large businesses in, and everything in between, that really the principles of what a high performance organization looks like and contrast that with what a, a low performing organization looks like and ones that are in chaos versus mm-hmm. ones that are highly performing. There are some common denominators. There are some characteristics about those organizations. I know we're going to talk about that in the workshop mm-hmm. and then move into the strategic planning side of it. How do you set an organization up to do that? And then, you know, work to develop a leadership team and, and develop the people on that team to execute on that strategy and in a couple day event it's a lot of a lot of information in a short period of time but it's a good starting point for people that want to move their organization from where they're at to where they want it to go or at, at a bare minimum for people that are just thinking about you know i need to do something different i don't know what where do i start i think this is a great opportunity and 
I've seen the website of the place that it's at. It seems <laughs> really cool. Yeah, it's very, very nice. I've held several conferences in my history there before, and it's been around for maybe 15, 20 years, and they just recently remodeled and added a lot of great conference space. It's going to be really nice. But When is it again? It is set for October 27th and 28th, which is a Thursday and Friday. Okay. The people that want to go, they can just book the hotel room for one night, practically, because in Fresno, you can, from the area, the whole valley, you can drive up in the morning, spend one night, and go home that uh, Friday night, and so people are, are liking that idea that's making it a little more affordable. The one thing about California, too, for CPAs, they can get a, uh, some CPE credit for going. Oh, great. So it all fits well there. But to what you're saying about the high performance piece, I think, you know, I've been in the Valley my entire life. And the, the business atmosphere there has been relatively successful, sometimes almost in spite of itself. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the opportunity for some of these companies that are realizing now that the traditional mode of operating, which is with a top-down control structure, where people are more directed rather than engaged, is something that they're starting to realize that times are changing. And this opportunity to get, I'm hoping to fill it up. I think we're going to limit to 35 total. So if they're going to keep it controllable in size and space so we can you know, get more intimately involved in their work yeah. or understand their issues. Because if we had 50, it's harder. But 35 will be able to do a much better job of that. I just think that they'll get an opportunity to say, wait a second, I understand now. So like you were saying earlier about the the traditional versus the high performance model and making that transition is a scary transition for a lot of people. But I think they're starting to realize at least some of the larger and more progressive ones that they need to do something different. Mm -hmm. And those that have never thought about that, I'm I'm anticipating their eyes will be wide open and go, wait a minute, this is what I want. I don't know. I didn't even know I wanted this, but now I know I do. So that's kind of my approach when I talk to people, you know, come to see it's very affordable. It's uh, full of great information, and it's uh, only a couple of days away in a beautiful place. So yeah, can't complain. I know. Well, I'm going to be there, so I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I, and I can tell you that you know the buzzword right now that you hear everywhere is industry disruptors, and what's what's mm-hmm. disrupting every industry out there. And if you haven't been disrupted yet, guess what? Your turn's coming. We're all getting to that point. And so preparing for that, getting ahead of the curve and, right. and not waiting till it's already on top of you is a part of what the workshop's about. So mm-hmm. now, you know, to transition just a little bit out of that, when you're working with an organization now in doing consulting work with them and coaching them, what happens if you, if you start working with them and they are so much in chaos that moving them from chaos through stability and then on to leadership, what if they don't take your advice? What, what do you do when you, when you work with them? And like you mentioned, you know, as a CPA, you would give them advice. A year later, they would come back. They didn't implement any of mm-hmm. it. Is there a better way to provide the information, to coach them, to mentor them, so that they do start implementing these strategies? So far, I haven't really had much struggle with people implementing because I think by the time they hire me, they're already open to something. Mm-hmm. The problem is more, I would think, in the, uh, the mid-level managers I'm working with, like one client I have particularly right now, they, I'm spending most of my time with the mid-management. The executive level is not even involved at this point other than that they want me to do this and help their middle management become more competent in their leadership style and so forth. And there are a few, I would admit, in that group, there's 20 of them, in that group that are a little skeptical of what I'm trying to accomplish and what we're all trying to accomplish. And so they're resistant um, they're, to change. They're re- that- oh, absolutely. Um, you know, they're, they, they have their personality types and those types are uh, a little bit stuck and mm-hmm. they're a little bit, um, a little rough around the edges, let's say that. And, they, and it's, it's the same thing. They've been doing it this way for so many years. Why do I have to change? 
and then they still don't understand why people aren't following them. So they mm-hmm. need to change. And there's always that conflict between the younger generation, uh, not necessarily millennials, but right in that 35 age years old, and compared to many in this particular case where the more experienced leaders are in their late 50s. Mm. And so when you have that diversity of age groups, that creates a bit of a challenge as well. I think what's worked for me this far is taking the time to sit down with the few individuals that are struggling and just kind of talk through it from a, uh, a personal level so that they're not looking at it as far as, you know, my way is, I can't, I, you know, so I, okay, let me, let me back a little bit, but they'll say, I can't change. I've been doing this for 25 years. How am I going to possibly change? And the only way they're going to change, in my opinion, is if they, if they think and look at the world differently and we set aside the resistance to change and look at it as an individual and say, okay, if we don't change, what's the outcome going to be? You know, or if, and if we contrast to compared to yeah. well, what will it look like if we do accomplish a change. And I also don't think you're going to take someone who's pretty entrenched in their mode and change them from a two to a 10, let's say mm-hmm. they might move to a five, but that difference that little bit of a mood makes such a huge impact on the relationships they have with the others is it feels like they made a 10. So just moving them a little bit really brings them along and they start seeing that as an advantage. And so then, you know, they start changing and they feel better. And I find that to be the way to get around. I have yet to anyone absolutely say no to me. And and my contracts with everyone is like, Hey, as soon as you're not happy with me, well, let me know. Because mm-hmm. then I don't want to come back. Because I don't, I don't want anyone to ever say, "Is Mike coming?" I don't want Mike coming. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone's like, "Sorry to see me walk in the door," then we're done. Because <laughs> you know, it doesn't do any good if they're not interested in really engaging. So yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if I answered the question 100, but that's no. Kind of well, that's you know, my initial reaction was resistance to change is. If you're a human being, you're going to feel that at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people like change, some people don't. But change is something that's hard for everybody. You know, if they're not in charge of the change, that's the tough part. Or they don't have control of it. Right. They feel different. Right. They do. right. Yeah. They're, they're being told what to do. And some people push back on that more than others. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand that. Well, like you said, there's disruptors and environmentally things are changing um, government wise. In this particular case, it's a, uh, you know, controlled by the regulators of California. When they change, things have to change. And mm-hmm. if you're not able to adapt, you lose. And so a lot of times the change is coming without anyone's control. That makes it worse. You know, when it comes to leadership development, we were talking mm-hmm. yesterday and you said, you know, I've, I've been a CPA. I, I understand the financial side of business quite a bit and I'm good at it and that's great. But I enjoy the leadership side. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy working with the people side of it. And, you know, ironically, when I think CPA, I don't think a people person. And that's just my own uh, perception. No, it's not your own. It's everybody's. <laughs> it's everybody's. <laughs> yeah. So you're a little bit of an oxymoron because you are a CPA, but yet you enjoy mm-hmm. the people, you enjoy the leadership side. You know, do you find when you meet with organizations, you know, whether they're just looking at partnering with you somehow, that, that they also see that, that maybe you're a a unique opportunity to work with you because mm-hmm. you do have the financial side and the leadership and strategy side and people right. side. Well, if they don't, I make sure I tell them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, lots of times what I hear from people who just get to meet me and start spend some time with me about that, or, or maybe you've known me for a while. I don't know. Um, I'm always been accused of being an oddball CPA because it, it really is true. I'm CPAs typically are, you know, behind closed doors and they want to do their work and don't bother them. 
And that's kind of why I didn't stay in the firm because that's not why I like. I mean, to me, firms are like, <clears throat> excuse me, libraries. They, they're so quiet. I, it just drives me crazy. Yeah, I, I, I play on that because I can tell, I, I can show to them. And one of the strengths of the situation for me is that I can demonstrate that the things that we can do on the leadership development and just the employee engagement, I can tie it to their finances and I understand their finances and I understand um, a way to demonstrate or show them how a small change in one area can have a significant percentage change to their bottom line. And so being able to bring those two things together is a huge plus, I think. Oh, yeah. And because uh, I know a lot of executive coaches. I know several people that are probably close to us, but not quite the same as far as the full leadership development piece. They don't know. They really can't combine those two things very well. To differentiate myself and to also add an additional value, I can bring that to the table. And so far, even though some of the clients I've started with are just leadership clients, it doesn't take them long to start asking me some finance questions. Oh, yeah. Even though they have a, a, a very good CFO or someone who's competent, that's great. But they always want a little, what? They're always looking to for some confirmation, I guess. <laughs> so it is, it is a good combination. I, I'm trying to, to, to take advantage of that as much as I Absolutely. can. Absolutely. Well, then. So the million-dollar question mm. that I get on a regular basis is how do we prove the monetary side of what you would classify as soft skills type mm. training? So when you talk about leadership development or people development, whether it's uh, managing change or time management or those types of things, is there a way that you've come up with or can you help me and others who are listening to this understand how we monetize and show to the bottom line how the investment in leadership, the investment mm -hmm. in people and strategy actually is an investment and not just a cost on the balance sheet. The best way I can think about that is, is the effort around the idea of efficiency. People say we're inefficient, we're not efficient, or we're, we are efficient. You know, they, they use that word a lot, but they don't really know how to connect that to the bottom line dollars. What really, how do you measure efficiency? And so my approach to most of those things is okay, if we're looking at a department of individuals that are operating at a particular rate and this is what it costs to have them operate and they're operating maybe in a chaotic or traditional mode of just top down, you know, they're all kind of little soldiers and we want to turn them into an efficient team. Well, the first thing we'd have to do is we have to measure what they're doing today. Mm -hmm. How are they going now? And so if it, if, if it's a cost center, we know what the cost is historically is X. Well, and we know their production of whatever it happens to be, the output, the number of clients they see, whatever the, the activity that they do, we would try to calculate a per something rate. And then once we have that baseline established, then we spend six months in developing them as a team or train the leaders to develop them as a team. And then we again check what is their output per that same thing. So if we have a baseline to start with, then at the end of a period of time, we can check that. Now, maybe six months is not enough time, but if we're not getting any worse, <laughs> we at least we know we're on the right track. Mm -hmm. And the thing about these that I've discovered is it's almost like, like a little bit like the 90-20 rule, 90-10 rule. When you, it, it seems like it's easy at first, but it, or no, I shouldn't take it that way, but over time, it's like in the later months, the exponential change happens quickly. Right. So we're just kind of maintaining, like, are we making any progress? Or all of a sudden it explodes. And I think that's because it takes people a while to to personalize and actually habitualize, if you want to use that word, to mm -hmm. the change that we're trying to talk about. And all of a sudden it all comes together. And so that whole teamwork of the, the forming, norming, storming, performing, that sometimes takes six months, sometimes it takes a year. Yep. And But once it happens, that performance level just 
increases the efficiency so much that the bottom line is automatically impacted and doesn't take much just to see that. So that's yeah, kind of uh, So baseline first, mm-hmm. measure as you go, and then wait for the explosion. The best analogy I ever heard of that was an airplane taking off. Right. You know, you're at a dead, st- dead stop at the end of the runway. Mm-hmm. It's a long ways down there. You burn a lot of fuel, and it takes a long time to get that big piece of metal with all these people in it and luggage and everything else down the runway Mm -hmm. but eventually the front end comes up and then you climb and it you start to feel that momentum when Mm -hmm. you leave the runway and you're still climbing but once you get up to thirty-five thousand feet with the winds behind you and you put in all the hard work then you can back off on the throttle you have all the momentum behind you and you're you're really humming along Mm -hmm. Uh, but it takes a lot of work and energy and fuel and everything else in the very beginning to get it there. Right. And I, I spend a lot of time with the executives or the owner talking about that up front. Remember that. Just remember how you started your business, how it took 10 years to be successful or the amount of launching energy it took. Well, the same thing for change. We're going to change this process or change these individuals, and they're going to fight a little bit. It's going to take a lot of work. But then once they get over the hump, that performing or that high performance level, they're going to love it and they're going to be much more happier, much more engaged, much more productive, and the financials are going to improve dramatically and we'll be able to show that. If I was a small business uh, and I was to hire you, what does a typical engagement look like? How would you work with us? Well, it would be based on what their particular need was or where they were headed for. But uh, for the assumption that we want to just transform our corporation from where we're at to where we want to be, mm-hmm. um, the engagement would spend... Uh, the initial amount of time working with them to figure out where they're at today. We would assess their current condition, and we would do that through a lot of different ways. We do that, in my case, I do it heavily on the financial side. What's the financial condition? There's a lot of ratios and and calculations we can do and look back at the history and we come up, okay, here we are. And then we'd spend a lot of time looking at the team or the individuals. Where are they in their uh, level of expertise and competency? And then we'd also have a, a, a profile that we'd assess them uh, the P60 profile, I'd bring them all in. We'd talk about their personalities and how they all work together. We'd establish... Oh, like a web-based Yeah, tool. yeah the, our tool that we have. Mm-hmm. The, the, the assessment program gives us a nice idea of uh, the individual's personalities, a typical ABCD type of thing, and get them an idea that they're, where are they and how do they work together? Because obviously we're trying to take a group of people and get them to work together. And if they don't know each other below the level, <laughs> mm-hmm. if they don't know what drives them emotionally and personally, it's hard to understand them sometimes. I just don't get on with that person. Well, I don't know why. Well, let's find out. So again, it's all about let's assess and let's spend the first period of time, be it three months or six months, identifying where we're at and all those type of things and going through the traditional SWOT analysis, the sweet, you know, strength, weaknesses, opportunity. Just Let's just figure out what's going on now beyond their own perception. Once we've established the, the where we're at today, then we can look at the where they want to be and they can we'll hold meetings and we'll go through that process of transform, you know, going through the uh, what we call a transformation model, which takes a look at all the different aspects of an operation and sees, sees where they want to go. And then once we establish that, we just put together a plan and uh, decide which pieces we want to address first. Uh, we've got a good financial statement, our financial start, so we know how to measure our progress. For me, if, if we're not measuring where we're headed, then we're not doing anything, really. Yeah, we'll never know if we don't get there. So for me, it's always a financial measurement. What's the financial outcome of every single one of these changes? Some might just be benign. They might just be better feelings. But most of them are going to have an impact on finance. And that's the piece that most, if it's a small business owner, he's going to want to know the impact financially for his dollar spent and time spent 
And is it going to make his corporation more valuable so that when the time does come to either hand it over to his child mm-hmm. or sell it to another buyer, does it maximize his return? And like you said, I think we've talked about this before in the past, is that a small business owner, that is kind of their retirement plan. Right. So their goal is to have something either to sell or something that creates a huge bank account for them. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why would you go into business not to break even, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to try to grow and get the point so you can <clears throat> eventually retire on it. And so that is a big driver for these people because right now in Fresno, the vast majority of businesses are in that exact many, many of the ones in the Fresno chamber and the various, they're all at that level where they're about ready to hand it off to their kids or they're about ready to sell. So there's a huge opportunity there for people like me to help them get the best value for their efforts and their years of experience. So that's kind of what we do it. So do you approach a for-profit differently than a non-profit? Or is a for-profit versus non-profit just a tax status, but but you work with them the same mm-hmm. in terms of baselining, developing strategy, building their teams, building their leaders? The process is the same because the principles applied are equally, there's no difference in the, the value of the principle. The difference is the, the goal. The goal in the non-profit world is to, to generate a greater value and return to the community. And, um, or the people the, they serve. Or the, the, yeah, yeah. The, By definition, a nonprofit is a community-based organization. Lots of times we change the vernacular to CBOs, community-based organizations, because mm-hmm. the nonprofit gives the wrong impression. Nonprofit, it's really a tax-exempt community-based organization. The, the nonprofit vernacular really is incorrect because they still need to generate a profit so that they can continue to operate. Because if mm-hmm. you're breaking even every year, you would diminish over time. You would never grow. So there's a a need for you to have more revenue than you have expenses every year as a nonprofit as well or a tax exempt organization. But the difference in the purpose is what we're talking about. In a, in a closely held corporation, the purpose is to the benefit of the owners or shareholders. Whereas in a nonprofit, the purpose and benefit is to the service people we serve or the community that we are in. And being able to differentiate that in how you present yourself to the community is what the difference is. Mm. But the principles of leadership Financial management, employee development are the same. Sure. Yeah. People are people. Right. You know, and, and and organizations they, are organizations. Yeah. And they have the same problems and same yeah. success. It's same just, people problems. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's, I get asked that a lot. They say, <clears throat> well, do you have any industry specific knowledge? And, you know, have you worked in nonprofits before or banking or hospitals or so on and so forth? And I typically say, it, it, you know, that doesn't matter. Do right. you have people? And do you have problems with those people? Yes. Okay. The only difference is a vernacular lots of times. Yeah. Just the, the different acronyms are different, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and how they talk and what they say and what's important to them might be a little bit different. But the principles are principles. That's why they're called principles. Sure. <laughs> well, do you have any examples of what you would consider, whether it's an, uh, someone that automatically comes to mind or just a, a representation of what great leadership you know looks like to you? What what it exemplifies? When you think of someone who's a, a great leader, you know, what would an example of that be? And and contrast that with poor leadership. You know, what's an example of just absolutely horrific leadership? Hmm. Well, I think in the in the uh, for thinking from the business perspective, and I look at uh, great leadership in business, what you see there are some key attributes of the individual. One thing is a great leader in the business is is actively engaged. I mean, when they're at work or at their office, they are 100% focused and present on what's going on. Um, they have a, 
a strategic goal and process in mind and they are constantly sharing it, demonstrating it, and trying to engage people to believe in it as well. And so, and they're also the type that tends to not allow day-to-day roadblocks discourage them from their goal. Oftentimes I'll, I'll come across a business owner and they're, and they're so caught up in the day-to-day anxieties that they totally lose sight. And I keep telling them, you know, a day does not a business make or a month does not a year make just because mm-hmm. we had a bad month doesn't mean that our company is going down the tubes. It just means that we had a bad month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have time is part, of, but they're, but the good leader in that area is, is always putting in front of their team where they're headed, what's happening. And they're, contrasting that against, well, we had a bad whatever, but that doesn't change. And if, but there's sometimes the market does change. So a a good leader also has to be aware enough to adapt when the market shifts or they have to adjust their vision a little bit. So uh, a a good business leader is on the vision side. Contrast that to some people I used to work for as a college student, the angry business meter, I call them, you know, these are ones that look for they're watching everyone so closely that all they're worried about is their mistakes and and they're so focused on every dollar and every penny and every mistake. And that's where the, you know, the old controlling type leader and they can succeed. Yeah. Um, they can force their business through time. <laughs> if I don't use that phrase, but the cost is so huge and the opportunity is missed that what they could be at the end is far different compared to the visionary leader. So those are two. And I think the Central Valley, my market, my this the Central Valley is, is a traditional more, they're more lean towards that command and control approach, or at least their history has been. Mm-hmm. And so I come across more of those than I come across the visionary pieces. And I don't mean to insult, I just mean that they just don't know. So can you change them? I think if you demonstrate it through change when that when if they allow me to spend some time with both them and their team and they can see the team begin to be different than they were before i think they start changing but again it's that same thing you can't take a a two and make them a 10 but if you can just move them a few percentage points over they're going to see the you know they're going to get used to it a little bit and they'll see a big change it doesn't take a lot to make a impact of significance and then they'll let it happen some of them are just, I just have to let them, help them just separate themselves from that particular piece of the puzzle. And maybe they can't change it. Maybe just be better if they're not doing this. Go do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do something else. Don't run the day-to-day. Go talk to your friends or whatever. <laughs> Grow the business through <laughs> meeting new people and we'll keep the operations to ourselves and we'll be okay. <laughs> Sometimes that's necessary. What's the future for you? What do you see, you know, the next... 10, 15, 20 years looking like for your <laughs> business, for you personally, what, mm. what's your vision and your, your goals and aspirations? And mm. For me, the reason I moved into more of a overall consulting piece instead of just the finance is because I realized that if I'm doing just finance, all I am doing really is cha- exchanging my time for someone else's dollar or their help, you know, just a one-on-one. To me, that was not building anything. That was simply a job until I retired. And so that's not what I wanted to, to end my business career at. And so I realized that if I could leverage my skill set, leverage information that I can gain from 360 and others and create where I can impact more people at one time with my same hour through groups, through conferences and that kind of thing, I'd like to, and then at the same time, duplicate that process by 
bringing in other experienced individuals to do some of that for me. My overall goal in the long run, you know, five years from now is to be able to lead a team of consulting experts, both on the finance and leadership side, where we will be impacting the whole central California in some way through through the development programs and changing training and all that stuff. So you I'd want like, to build a firm. Like, I want to build a firm so that when I'm at 67 years old, I'm only doing the fun stuff that I choose to do. <laughs> all of it's fun, but I mean the really projects that I'm most engaged in, like conferences and those type of things, and have a team of individuals that have been trained by me and also trained by their own experiences that can do some of the development work in corporations or in uh, mastermind groups, or I haven't mentioned that name before, but leadership groups mm -hmm. uh, for the community and allow them to engage and let them learn and do that. Because I, it's kind of funny when I started telling people I was doing this, I have, oh, hey, I'd like to help you, that kind of stuff. So I know a lot of people that are approaching retirement and they like to share, give back and oh, yeah. help develop young leaders. And they, they think that's exciting. I just give them the platform to do that. Yep. And so that's kind of my overall goal for that. So, so Mike, you've worked with lots of different businesses. Mm -hmm. Are there some patterns that you see, some pitfalls that you see initially when companies start or when they're, they're trying to come out of chaos? When I think about that, I think about, it's kind of redundant, I think a little bit, but they, they don't understand lots of times what trigger they need to pull to make the change. And so they don't have their, they, they have their patterns and their patterns are their patterns and they, they, they have a hard time seeing outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest challenge is, is getting them to realize that they need to see some things differently and allow me to bring some ideas to the table that they have never thought about before or maybe they've heard and they've forgotten and so it's kind of sharpening them a little bit and so it gives them a chance to get off of that mode so the biggest i guess of a pitfall would be continue to do the same thing expecting something different <laughs> and so yeah. until i can get them to look over to their a different way at things they keep wanting to keep going back one of my clients uh, um, in particular was that way he he was like a fire starter in his own business. He would come in in the morning, find out what everyone's doing, and then just make it more complicated than it was necessary because he wanted to be, because that's how he started. He started in the in the business and he grew it from, I was a great technician, so he he couldn't get himself out of the business and work on his business. He just kept wanting to get in there and I kept, so I, every time i get him out for a period of time, things would run smooth and for some reason he'd want to come back. Breaking that habit of how I've always done it is a big challenge. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've heard people, I've heard it said, a good way to look at every problem is say, what would this look like if it were simple? Because I feel like some people uh -huh. try to make it, you know, they make everything too complicated. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or or make it, well, how would I delegate it is another problem. Hmm. They, you know, can I delegate that to? And, that's, and they, they don't trust. It's a trust issue. It's a, it, I understand it completely because when you, when you built a business on your own, it's like every dollar is my dollar. And so to give someone opportunity to, potentially lose that dollar is hard to delegate mm -hmm. to somebody else. Yet when they do that over a period of time and they get a re positive return, they start learning that as a good thing. And that delegation process becomes more of a habit and then over time. But that first few months of delegation and letting people fail is hard for a small business owner. Really, really hard. Oh, yeah, they, they feel it's like it's a waste of money. It's <clears> a waste <throat> of time. It's a waste right. of energy. And that, that, you know, I trusted you with the money and the time and the energy and you blew it. So, right. you know, I don't want to continue to, to do this. <laughs> right. But if, if they've learned something and so that's the other thing I find out people, if I don't, they don't want to take the time up front to train and develop people because they think it's going to cost them money in the long run or, or cost them money in the short run, but the value in the long run is the hard part to get past. So they're, hmm. 
They need to see that time spent now will save them so much time in the future. And that's not just the owners. That happens in the leaders. I get, I work in the finance department and they, you have a, the finance manager is so frustrated with the amount of time it takes to get the monthly close or whatever the case. I'm like, well, okay, what's the holdup? Well, so-and-so doesn't, well, let's spend some, t- I don't have time to train them. No, if we don't train them today, <laughs> we'll do this thing over and over every month. Let's take the time, feel the pain now and get the gain later. Kind of like, like exercise, I guess, huh? Yeah, there was a, a guy explained it to me one time, and I totally got it. He said, you know, there are people that are comfortable in chaos. Mm-hmm. And as soon as things become standardized or normal or s- streamlined, they figure out a way to put it right back into chaos because <laughs> for them, that's comfort. Chaos right. is where they like to live. They don't want to live in, they, they don't want to live where everything's neat and tidy. They mm-hmm. like the chaos of their life. Well, that's kind of like that person I was referring to earlier who kept coming back into operations just to stir it up. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was why. I never thought about it from that angle. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was just trying to be too nosy. <laughs> but well, maybe chaos is maybe where that's he feels what he likes. Yeah. Maybe that's what he yeah, likes. Absolutely. He likes that fire drill stuff, but that doesn't work over time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't create a, a business that's going to be valuable. It creates a business that's in chaos, and it may be fun for him, but it's not fun for anybody else in the room. <laughs> no. <laughs> So you talked about how people allocate allocate their time, and you've written some about time management. What are some of the principles you would say that you can apply right now that will help you develop better time management skills? Well, I think the biggest thing about time management is is identifying in advance what your time is going to be used for. It's kind of like it's kind of like budgeting your household. If you look at your budget for the month, you can say, well, I have all this this particular amount, and I, I know I'm going to spend this much on groceries. So that money is identified as groceries mm-hmm. for the month, for example, or rent. Kind of the same thing in your time management. If you're looking at next week, I have, to, I have these priorities I need to meet, and so I will set aside a specific time to do that, and I will not allow it to change. Because mm-hmm. if you allow it to change, then you're going to be in a deficit in your time, right? Mm -hmm. And so certain things you can't change. So you have to identify your week in advance, plan your week or your day if it's easier. Mm -hmm. Get up in the morning, plan your day, identify at 10 o'clock, I'm gonna do this. No matter, come hell or high water, I'm doing that. And I'm not gonna allow it to push. And then you'll find out if you do it that way, at the end of the day, hey, wait a minute, I got got several things of high priority done today and I still survived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all those people that try to distract me, they're still there. <laughs> Nothing's changed. I'm okay. So identifying where you're going to spend your time and keeping to it is a is a nice little tip. I think Chip has used this illustration before that it's kind of like a jar and you have to fill it with rocks. So you mm-hmm. start with the large rocks, you right. put them in there, they're in there, they're not moving, and then you fill in with the smaller rocks. Oh, so right. put those big important tasks those in there. Tasks have to be even if it's yep. if it's not business related. If I you know if it's exercise or it's right whatever. That has to be, and you have to make sure that that happens in your schedule. If you don't put it in your schedule, it won't happen. Absolutely. And then, then you have to defend it. Right. Yep. It's okay to say no. Hey, there's another phrase there. Say no. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, I, uh, I'm i excited about your conference mm-hmm. coming up. And uh, again, it's in October, and I'm, I'm going to be there. I know a number of other people are going to be there, and I'm really excited about that. I think there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of takeaway and a lot of excitement and a lot of a uh, uh, lot of good ideas that come out of that so thanks for coming on the show today really appreciate it and uh, always learn a lot every time i'm around you loved it and we hopefully we can have you back here uh on the show again sometime in the near future share some more pearls of wisdom with us Mm -hmm. so again i love the opportunity okay thanks mike thank you You during the podcast we talked about mike's upcoming high performance workshop on october 27th and 28th 
To sign up, visit 360solutions.com slash attend hyphen Fresno. Again, that's 360solutions.com slash attend hyphen Fresno. The High Performance Leadership Podcast is sponsored by 360 Solutions. Enjoying the podcast? Check out our iPad app. It's also called High Performance Leadership, and you can find it in the Apple App Store. It features interactive workbook versions of subjects we talk about here on the podcast. Just search for High Performance Leadership in the App Store. The High Performance Leadership Podcast is also sponsored by Principles of High Performance Leadership, the book by Chip Wilson. The first 100 people to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast get the book for free. That's right, free book. Go to 360solutions.com for more information. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Make sure and subscribe via iTunes, give us a rating, and leave us a review. Tell everyone you know to do the same thing. The more subscriptions, ratings, and reviews we get, the higher iTunes rates us. Visit our website at hpleadershippodcast.com, tweet at us at twitter.com slash 360 underscore solutions, and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 360 solutions LLC. That's all together, no spaces. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.